0: Um, We are in a new series on the statements of Jesus, the names he gives himself in the book of John, and uh, I had the privilege and delight of digging into the first name, I am the bread of life. Is that going to be okay for everyone? Okay. Okay. So these I am statements that we're going to be digging into um, are actually names of God. I'm just going to get situated here. Let's see what I like for... go okay thank you for bearing with me for a second so um, these i am statements are actually names for god these statements of jesus are they're seemingly simple at first glance so we've got bread we've got light we've got the vine we've got a door um, and we've got the good shepherd etc and so when you look at these names through the lens of the bible scripture there's so much more to say these names, as I've been digging in, they're like an artistic masterpiece with many layers of color. They are like like a full orchestra with a full choir. They're like a meal with many courses. and they're like a story that's been gradually told by a skillful writer. And they tell us about Jesus and His nature as God. And they point us to a bigger story that's been happening since the very beginning so we can look around us and we can we can wonder God where are you where are you this world is such a mess such a mess spending time in this book spending time in the scriptures, show us that God is present and he's always been present nothing surprises him there's there's a much bigger plan, and nothing, nothing is going to stop his plan. Learning his names and what they show us about him and, his, and about his nature help us to trust him. It's one thing to say we trust him, yet how easy is it for us to panic when faced with crisis. As we grow into adulthood and mature, we find ways to cope but we never really lose those feelings of overwhelmingness that comes upon us. You know what it's like to overreact, you know what it's like to lose sleep, to carry anxiety, to worry. In the story of God and of humankind through scripture, we see, we hear, we learn that God is present. He enters our anxieties, he enters our crises, he enters our worries. And so I want you to recognize that studying these names is not some scholarly pursuit of the divinity of Jesus through the literary writings of John. These names have everything to do with the actual events of your actual life right now. So we're going to dig in and see how they connect. So Jesus, he didn't just show up at Christmas 2,000 years ago. Okay. Jesus was present at the very beginning with the Father. And it's very interesting that we find all of the I am names for Jesus in the Gospel of John. And it's John's book, his book, that doesn't begin with the divine conception, not with the birth of Jesus, not with his education or growth, but at the very beginning. John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. So Jesus was present at the very beginning of time with the Father, and all of this book points to Jesus. So this book is like it's an absolute masterpiece, absolute masterpiece. From a literary perspective, it's a complete delight, and nothing compares to it. And to fully experience it, you have to read it. <laughs> You have to crack it open. You have to get into it. Um, So the details matter. The different parts of the story matter. And there's the good parts that really excite us. There's the hard parts that we don't fully understand. The ones that often leave us with questions. They're important too. It's those hard spots that need processing for the promise of the fullness of God to be taken in so, that we can be in so that we can be refreshed inside out by all that he has for us. He has so much for us. So if you haven't asked this question outright, uh, you've likely thought it. Jesus, what do I do with the things I don't really understand about you? Jesus, what will I do with you? And what does bread have to do with Jesus and God? So, our text begins in John 6, verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The first time the name I am is used for God is when he reveals himself to Moses in the wilderness from the burning bush that never really burns. Moses was a shepherd, he was tending sheep in the wilderness of Horeb, and God had seen that his people were in crisis under the overlords of the Egyptian rulers. He heard their cries from heaven, and he was moved to do something, to rescue and to deliver his people. He had been preparing Moses, and he revealed himself to Moses as I am that I am, which in Hebrew is, does anyone know? Yahweh, Yahweh. Yahweh's name means he will be, being he is. So when Moses goes to the Israelites in Egypt and they ask him, who is this God who sent you to free us? Moses tells them God's name, and that is enough for them to begin to trust. And then God reveals himself as Yahweh through a series of signs. There are 10 plagues that miraculously set them free from their, from their uh, Egyptian oppressors. And this nation of people, men, women, children, and animals, miraculously cross the Red Sea on dry land into the wilderness where God is going to lead them to the promised land. It's Just this amazing story. And I would encourage you to dig in and read it. It's in Exodus chapters 1 through 14 and then 16. So the people have been saved, and this is something that they would want to remember. Like this was miraculous. God gives them something to remember him by, and it's a meal called the Passover meal. And they celebrate this meal every year to remember how God miraculously freed them from their slave masters. Bread, a meal. So, a way by which they would not just remember the signs themselves, but the person that all of these signs pointed to. God had delivered them. In the wilderness, where God led this mass of people after He rescued and He delivered them from Egypt, now He wanted to show them what He was like. So, what does He give them in the wilderness? He gives them manna he gives them bread in the wilderness fresh bread every morning they had to go out and they had to get it and it would sustain them throughout the whole day and then every morning they'd go out and get a fresh batch another name for god is yahweh yira which is what god is my provider god is my provider God will see to it is another way to look at it. I like that, God will see to it, Yahweh Yira. Pray that for the wars going on in the world. God will see to it. Now, let's fast forward to Jesus. He arrives on the scene and we have the same kind of situation. The Israel people are enslaved under Rome and they're asking God for a deliverer. Deliver us, God, we want a Moses who will get us out of this crisis. They find themselves as slaves again, and they're looking for a Messiah that would defeat their enemies and set up his kingdom and rule and reign over the nations. So this time, God doesn't send someone else. He comes to earth as one of us. God shows up in flesh. Jesus is fully God and fully man, and a name that is given to God as he comes to earth is Emmanuel, God with us. So the Jewish people are looking for signs that would accompany this believer, this Moses-like figure that would signal that their Savior is arriving. And one of the signs that they are watching for was manna falling from heaven again, just like in the Exodus wilderness, just like we remember around the Passover table. We will eat bread in the wilderness, bread. Their Deliverer will give them bread. They didn't anticipate, though, that their deliver would come as their bread, as the sustenance in life they were deeply longing for. And you know, we are no different than the people uh, at that time. We get fixated on signs, we get fixated on miracles, we get fixated on gifts and prophetic words, and we can, we can miss, we can completely miss Jesus. We can can even not even see him if he's right in front of us if we're so fixated on looking for the sign. They were looking for the bread. And we also can get fixated on the lack of the sign. There's no healing, there's no finances, there's no bread. Where is it? So where is Jesus? Where did he say he would be? Scripture tells us that he is present. He is present. So now, just before Jesus said, I am the bread of life, he performed what was to become his most famous and well-known miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. Now, get this. The key verse in the whole story, the one that would have grabbed the attention of the original Hebrew readers, is the very first phrase that we read, but we wouldn't give much thought to it. John 6, 4 the Jewish Passover meal was near. We think, well, that's nice, and we keep going. (laughs) But that phrase is a tell for where the whole story is headed. This miracle is the only miracle recorded in all four of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So they wanted us, the readers, to know this is an important, very important story. Pay attention. There's something going on here. So John 6, 5 to 6, it says, when Jesus looked up and he saw the great crowds coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Jesus poses a question to one of his disciples setting up a sign. Why would he do that? He had something important for his disciples to see, to experience, a sign is not just a haphazard miracle. Let's just have some miracles and blow people's minds. It's an intentional miracle. God had a plan that is performed to reveal something that is true about God. A sign is a miracle pointing to a person. We had signs in the wilderness, right, for the Israelites when they were leaving Egypt, pointing to their deliverer. A sign is pointing to a person. So most of us will have an awareness of this story, whether you've cracked this book or not. You've probably heard about how Jesus used one child's lunch to feed thousands of people who were gathered in the Galilean wilderness. Now, this isn't just about food, though it's pretty cool that you can take a kid's lunch and feed 5,000 people. Uh, He is very aware that the people are looking for this very sign. Bread from heaven in the wilderness, a sign that points to Yahweh, I am the one they celebrate through the Passover feast every year, what was near? The Jewish Passover. So in verse 13, you read that, the leftovers filled 12 baskets. Every detail matters, every detail matters. Many in the crowd will understand that the 12 represented the 12 tribes of Israel. Verse 14. Surely this prophet who has come into the world, the prophet, the promised savior, the one who will provide bread, bread in the wilderness like our previous deliverer, Moses. But wait, wait a minute, we don't stop here. Jesus does this miracle again, bread in the wilderness, but this time we read about it in Matthew's gospel. And in Matthew's gospel, if you go to chapter 14, he talks about the feeding of the 5,000. And then in chapter 15, we read about the feeding of the 4,000. It's a repeat, exact same sign, done the same way, but in a different place with different people. So what's going on here? Crowds are following him as he teaches the masses. The day is drawing to a close, and they're in a remote place with nothing to eat. So Jesus asks his disciples if they've got anything, and you'll never guess. A kid's lunch. (laughs) So we've got a few loaves and some fish, It's it's an identical scene, well, almost, almost. Remember, the details matter, and here's the difference. Jesus has now crossed the lake. He's in the region of Tyre and Sidon. He's in Gentile territory. He's in spiritually impure territory. The hungry crowd that has gathered around him are not Israelites, it's a Gentile crowd. Matthew 15, 35, he told the crowd to sit down on the ground, then he took the seven loaves and the fish, and when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up the seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Huh, seven baskets. Seven baskets of broken pieces of bread were left over. Seven baskets, as in the Hebrew number, that means completion as in all the people. Do you see it? 12 baskets to say, I am Yahweh Yerah, the provider for all of Israel. And then seven baskets to say, I am Yahweh Yerah, the provider for all nations, for all people. I am the bread of life for anyone who is hungry. So earlier in the book of John, Jesus says, and most of you know this verse, for God so loved the world, that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So what is the promise? What is this pointing us to? It's that wedding feast at the end of time where we will feast with Jesus at the table. He is bread for eternity. So who do these two miracles point to? They point to Jesus, they point to God. So John 6.25 said, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? He just fed the 5,000, and then he's feeding the 4,000. Jesus gives them bread in the wilderness. He performs a radical water crossing. Who do you think that is reminding them of? Oh, Moses. Moses. Who provided us manna in the wilderness and raised his staff and the seas parted and they crossed to the other side? It's the Exodus. Jesus is replaying the Exodus. Cool. <laughs> so Jesus answered, "Very truly I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, because but because you ate the loaves and had your fill." This is Jesus saying, you were dazzled. You tasted the bread. Your eyes widened for a moment and wondered, but you did not see the person that the signs pointed to. Verse 27, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So they asked him, "What what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you. What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they're trying to put the pieces together. Are you the one? Are you who you seem to be saying you are? Verse 32, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who's given you bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. No, 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 it wasn't Moses. It was my Father who gave you bread as a sign pointing to a person. Verse 34, they said, Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He is saying you're on the right track. I am the person that the sign points to. I am the bread. I am your provision in the wilderness. Verse 41. At this the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, "I am the bread of life that comes down from heaven." Hmm. So now they're getting skeptical. So Jesus was right. They wanted the miracle. And they wanted again and again And again, give us this bread and keep giving it to us, like Moses seemed to give it to them day after day after day. But they don't see the person that the bread is pointing to. We can be like this. We want the good stuff, the bread, the miracles, the signs, the wonders, the prophetic words, but we don't want Jesus, the person, the God it all points to. If it's not about him, if it's not unto him, It is not going to satisfy your deepest longings. Verse 54, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. And he is saying here, You will have true life if you take my life. It's such a beautiful exchange. My righteousness for your failure. My wisdom for your foolishness. My love for your hate. My innocence for your guilt. My resurrection for your death. Such a beautiful exchange. Only Jesus didn't say it that way. He said, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood. We read in verse 66. From this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Ugh. Door slam moment. Boom. I'm done. He's gone too far. Have you ever thought that and thought, Jesus, why did you have to say it that way? (laughs) Kind of sounds like cannibalism. Is it necessary to lose thousands of followers for a misconception about cannibalism? Remember that the details matter, and what is being said is for a purpose and bigger than just that moment. He's pointing to something more. He said it this way on purpose, to offend and to promise. What is he looking for? Heather talked about this last week. He's looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. He's not looking for followers that are there for a good time. Many want the experience, but not the truth that will set them free. So let's look at offense and promise. Offense. So the Israelites had all sorts of purity laws. And you can read about Jesus had a disagreement with them between Matthew 14 and 15 um and so to come in contact with blood made you spiritually unclean and impure these laws were rooted in the mosaic covenant going back to moses which is where the first bread miracle took place this is where the laws were coming from and jesus says drank my blood this is how you will get freedom today the freedom in the life that you are looking for this is the only way he's got a very different definition for spiritual purity than they have. It's one that's going to expand the family of God. His blood is not impure, his blood purifies. So the old table has to be upset so that the new one can be revealed. Jesus is the bread of life. He's the person the sign points to. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Take my life into your life. Later, and we know this because we've read the scriptures, Later, in the full context of his life, the beauty of what he's saying in that moment will be so obvious, but in this moment, it's a wince and look away. Jesus, I was tracking with you for a while, and I can't go there kind of offense. So we're gonna just going go to go down a different path for a second. What is the main grain that bread is made from? Wheat. Did you know that the human body cannot process raw wheat? If you and I tried to live off of raw wheat, we could only have a few bites. We, our, our hunger wouldn't be satisfied, and it would turn our stomachs, and we'd get sick. I don't, has anyone chewed raw wheat? I have. <laughs> it just turns into gum in your mouth. It's really not that appetizing. Um, and growing up on a farm in Alberta, we, we made our own bread from raw wheat. It had to be ground down into flour and baked into bread so it could be digested. So fresh flour, I have to say, makes the best bread. (laughs) Once it's processed, it's so life-giving. Fresh bread is the best. And I can just, I can smell it now. (laughs) Um, So if wheat has to be processed to be nourishing, this word from Jesus, I am the bread of life, must be processed only later with the context of the full life of the person that the sign points to did the hard saying that offends turn into a beautiful breathtaking promise and the principle revealed in the offense is this sometimes a word so word is seed seed and like the seed of wheat from god has to be processed things have to happen to be revealed as good news. Another way to look at this just as the seed has to remain in the ground over time to germinate, so the Word of God has to abide in us. We must take time with it for truth to be revealed. You cannot follow Jesus for long without having this experience. And I will say that this experience is ongoing as we walk with Jesus. Jesus, I love your take on being free and living life to the full. But why do you say that we have to die to everything and pick up our cross? That sounds more like slavery than freedom. Jesus, I love your open invitation to all people, but why are you so narrow and exclusive about the way to God? Jesus, I love the way you start the Sermon on the Mount. The Beatitudes are beautiful, but then you so quickly jump to this narrow sexual ethic that for me and my story and for my culture that I'm actually living in, it sounds a bit like nails on a chalkboard you know this kind of experience. What part of Jesus' teaching doesn't square with my life experience and what does it taste like? Like raw wheat on my tongue in between my teeth. Jesus, so much of what you're saying is like bread that nourishes my soul, but there are a few bites, a few things that you say that just turn my stomach. And I wanna pause here for a moment and I pray that our hearts will hear this clearly. The more you read the words of Jesus, the more you read the scripture, the more you get into this book, the more the thoughts of God enter you like seeds, and they drive away the thoughts of the world which are influenced and driven by who? Satan. So we need the very words of God with the Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, the tempter came to him after he had not been eating for 40 days, And the tempter said, turn these stones into bread. And what did Jesus say? It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Remember the parable. We talked about the kingdom parables in Matthew 13 a little while ago. The parable of the farmer who sowed the seed everywhere, not just in the fields, but in the ditches and the paths and in places full of weeds. God is this extravagant farmer that just spreads his seed everywhere. And he shares with his disciples that anyone who hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away those, away that which was sown in their hearts. This is the seed sown along the path. So God, prepare the soil of our hearts to receive your word, to allow it to work its way into our hearts. The tragedy is that most of the crowd did not stick around for the processing. Even Jesus' disciples admitted that this was a hard teaching to follow. But they stuck with the person behind the hard saying. John 6, 67, Jesus says to his disciples, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12, and Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the very words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the holy one of God. Peter got it. Peter did a lot of things (laughs) that make you go, huh? but here he's nailed it. Jesus has not revealed a God that we can perfectly understand, but he's revealed a God that we can perfectly trust. Remember what I asked you earlier, Jesus, what will I do with you? I may not completely understand him, but I trust that the God, I trust that the God, that even though he doesn't make the suffering go away, he enters the suffering alongside me. I trust the God who sees the sinful mess in me and never leaves or forsakes me. I trust the God that even when he says something that turns my stomach and he walks every step of the way with me processing it. I trust that the God who does not condemn I trust that the God who does not condemn me for what I've for what I don't see but shows it to me. I trust the person behind the hard saying means giving the word processing time so it can nourish my soul. Every word that comes from his mouth is good news. So many walked away, and Peter wasn't any less offended or any less confused. He felt lost and alienated like all the rest of them. Peter's response was, I am staying. I believe you say who you are, so I will live out the confusion and the disorientation with you. That is what you do when you run into the part of the Bible you don't like or you want to look away from, or are just totally baffled by. You stay. Staying means that instead of, in, instead of avoiding the biblical passage that seem problematic, I will hold my real and honest questions before God in prayer and ask for help. Staying means instead of holding the comfortable position of sitting on the fence when it comes to the teachings of Jesus, that are not particularly popular at my moment in history, I'm going to do the hard work of understanding and discerning. Staying means that I'm just as honest about my doubt as I am about my belief within my church community. And it means that I am not any more threatened by someone else's doubt than I am about their statement of belief. Staying means the hard work of repairing the hurts that I have felt when the avoidance of them would be so much easier. Staying means forgiving and asking for forgiveness. Staying means confessing that sin pattern that has shown up again in your life this week even though you feel like a broken record. Jesus' words are all nourishment. And staying means that processing Jesus' teachings has always been and will always be part of our maturity. And so engage it rather than running for it and avoid it. And staying means that you will... And staying doesn't mean, sorry, doesn't mean that you'll immediately find some satisfying answer. In fact, I will say that you usually won't quickly find a satisfying answer. A long obedience in the same direction is what makes life worth living. This statement was actually made famous more recently by Eugene Peterson. Staying means that where you go with your questions matters because... For most of us, when we can't square Jesus' teachings with our current life experience, we don't stick around to process like Peter did. And I wanna say, and I know that it's hard when friends and family members and those in your faith community walk away. We feel it deeply. And many of us have experienced this. What tends to happen in times of pain are the formation of pseudo-communities where individuals seek solace with others who share similar disillusionment. Rather than turning to those who've been on the journey with them, individuals tend to avoid challenging conversations and instead find a unique group that shares their specific disappointment with God and the church. And as a result, these communities are built on disillusionment rather than on the foundation of faith. A community built on disbelief is like the spiritual equivalent of ibuprofen providing temporary relief but unable to cure real sickness. A community offering empathy without challenging you is comforting, but it can never heal you. Pseudo-communities often emerge as a reaction to pain where individuals share their symptoms and disappointments of things that have turned their stomachs, but we are never nourished by bread that weak can become. So where you go with your questions, matters. It matters. If we are to know Jesus that the sign and the miracle points to, we have to be willing to process the bits that taste like raw wheat on our tongue and in between our teeth. We have to be willing to stay when walking away would be so much easier. It requires us to say yes to what's easy and to what is hard because we are saying yes to who? We're saying yes to Jesus. Jesus, I'm gonna do what you say. Jesus was not afraid to offend, but offense was not the point. Promise is what he was always thinking, and promise is the reward to those who stay, those who trust, those who process. This concept of offense and promise can kind of be a little bit like raw wheat, but it's actually quite common as we look through scripture. Last week, Heather shared the story of Abraham and his only son Isaac. When God asked Abraham to take his only son and offer him as a a sacrifice, this is the first place where the word worship is used, um, which makes it very significant in terms of the meaning of the word worship. Do you guys remember that from last Sunday? So God asked Abraham to go and and to kill his son Isaac as a sacrifice, as an offering to him. Now when we think about that, we think about only pagans sacrifice their children to their gods, child sacrifice is offensive kind of like cannibalism. So Abraham, though like Peter, trusts God. There is no one else like God. So despite anything that may have caused him to question or what may have caused confusion to arise, he trusted that God would provide and fulfill his promise to him. His trust was greater than any offense. God did provide. He provided a ram and a sheep in the place of Abraham's son, but not until Abraham had set up the altar Bound his son, was about to put a knife through his heart. Abraham stayed with the word and he saw the promise fulfilled. Together, Abraham and Isaac worshiped the Lord and through them, the nation of Israel was born. Stay put. If I can say anything, stay put. Do not rush away. The offense was never the point. Trusting despite the defiance The offense opens the way for a promise to be revealed and experienced. What does God give his people to remember all these signs and the person they point to? What does he give? A meal. A Passover meal. The Passover meal was near. That is where we began our story. Remembering the person behind the meal is near. Hmm. Remembering the person behind the meal is near. Sharing bread is going to point to a person, the bread of life. And that phrase gets repeated again near the end of the story. On the final night of Jesus' life, we read this in John 13. It was just before the Passover festival. The dots are connecting. You can just see how intentional scripture is. Right, All of the details matter. So Luke 22 verses 14 to 15, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Jesus gave us a meal that completes the story, that connects the dots to what he said so long ago in the wilderness. I am the bread of life. And so it was on this very night that those who stayed, those who trusted, those who processed, those that witnessed the promise that Jesus was making all the way back then, Baking Bread Day was my favorite. And now for more reasons. You see, for wheat to be made into bread, it has to go through a process, through a violent process. When it is harvested, it's cut at its base. Then comes the threshing when those wheat stalks are taken and they are beaten against a hard surface until the grain and the shell are separate from the stalk. Next comes the winnowing when the chaff is stripped away from the wheat. And finally, it gets ground down into flour by being crushed by two stones. The substance you are left with is unrecognizable as wheat at first, but it's the same stuff still there that has been reformed. Next, you form dough by adding water and oil. And what does water and oil represent in the scriptures? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And then it is baked. And it's baked at a violent level of heat. And what happens? It rises. It's then after it's risen that the wheat has been processed into this bread that can give life. So can you see it? Do you see the story that he is telling? Do you see the meal that he's serving? Do you see him? Do you see him, the bread of life? Jesus repeated at the Last Supper what he said after the feeding of the 5,000. He said, eat my flesh, drink my blood. And then the disciples watched as he was taken from the table to be cut, to be beaten, to be ground down until he was unrecognizable as a man, put through violence until he rises. And those who stayed through that offense saw the unimaginable gift in the promise that this Jesus, he is the I am, he is the Yahweh of the burning bush, clothed with human flesh, he is the bread of life. The offense became a promise a promise that we remember the broken body and the shed blood that won the great victory that took death's sting Jesus eagerly desires to eat this passover meal with with you with us he is saying the table this is always where i've been going this is always what i've been talking about What I've always been promising, that every time you gather around it from this day forward, make sure that when you eat the bread, you remember me. So we're going to share in communion together this morning. Heather, if you just want to come and and play uh, for us, we're going to share in the broken body and the blood poured out as a family. And so let's stand, and I'm just going to get you to come. There won't be servers. Just come and get, get the juice and get the bread, and then we're going to share this together, and we're going to remember him this morning and what this means to us. All right. Feel free to stand and come, and we're going to pray after, so come and grab the juice and the bread. I know we're not always used to doing it in quiet. That's okay. As you're going up to get the juice and the bread, just be thinking about who he is, the holiness and the beauty of his blood poured out for you, the holiness and the beauty of his body broken for you. This very thing that nourishes our bodies, that nourishes our souls, and it's only him, it's only his body that can do this for us. Just remain in a posture before him of just worship and of love. Just remember that he is eagerly anticipating to share this meal with you. This table, this meal, is a sign, a sign of all that he is and all that will come as we walk with him. So just let's just worship him in quiet and silence as we're prepared to take it together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You are so good. You are the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. You are the bread of life. You are everything that we need. them on this side, want to make it their way to this side, it is getting more empty over here, so you can make your way over here as well. Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. So just imagine just reclining at the table with Jesus, just resting with him. And he is eagerly desired to eat this meal with you. And so he takes the bread and he breaks it. And he gives thanks. This is my body given for you. I am the bread of life. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. And after sharing the bread at the end of the meal, he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you so this is the blood that purifies that purifies you let's share this together this promise that we have in the last in the supper that we share together in this meal we share together it's a promise that we anticipate and all the way at the end of the book of Revelation right at the end of the Bible the book of Revelation which tells us more about Jesus the picture is painted of heaven and earth being reunited as one of an eternity of love and peace with this passionate and pursuing God. And it's going to be like bread, it's going to be so full of life and like a wedding feast that never ends. So when Jesus returns and he sets the heavenly feast of bread before the nations, it's going to satisfy us for eternity. And the picture that Jesus offers us is a feast that never ends. A banqueting table with a place setting with your name on it. Food that never runs out. Wine that keeps flowing and you are completely satisfied. It is the bread of life. I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, this table is always where I am going. And it's been anticipated even now. He loves to sit with you. So I want to encourage you this week, for those of you in Connect groups, I want to encourage you to share this meal together. If you gather with other believers, share in this communion meal together. And remember together the promise and the life that we have here and the promise to come. And I pray that your trust will be greater than any offense, that you will stay with God, stay with the church, even when it's harder than you imagined it would ever be. For who else would you go to? Jesus has the very words of life. His words ring in our ears, go down in our hearts. I am the bread of life. He is your very life. And so, Jesus, I pray right now, God, as we have just shared in eating of your flesh and drinking your blood, the reminder of the promise of who you are and what you have done and what is continually being unfolded as your kingdom bursts forth. I pray your blessing on each one here father a blessing to stay a blessing to hear truth a blessing to know you more and I thank you father that it's your Holy Spirit that we have that you've given us as a friend that leads us into all truth and that teaches us and reminds us of your very words and says stay so may we have ears to hear your Holy Spirit today and going forward And may our mouths speak your truth in Jesus' name. And all of the people said, amen, amen. Bless you today. Thank you.